Maria Fedorova, beloved wife of Alexander III, had a love for jeweled eggs, which her husband, Alexander III, knew from reading her diary. In 1885, to celebrate the 20th anniversary of their engagement, he commissioned a beautiful egg by a man named Fabergé. The egg was an enamel egg. Inside the egg was a golden yolk. Inside the yolk was a golden hen. Inside the hen was a diamond crown. On top of the crown was a golden ruby egg. And so began the tradition of Fabergé egg. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That was our lovely Sonia. And we are the art history babes. (laughs) (laughs) So we're talking about... Fabergé eggs today, you guys. Yeah, we're, we're getting a little festive for the Easter slash spring season. Mm-hmm. I mean, what better way? And also, correct me if I'm wrong, Sonia's our authority on all things Russian. Isn't Easter's like the biggest holiday in Russia? It's like bigger than Christmas? It's the biggest Russian Orthodox holiday because right. we don't have Christmas. Christmas oh. is January 7th and it's like a very minor holiday. Right. So Easter is the end of a seven-week fast that I'm on right now where no one can eat animal products. So oh it's God. literally like the first time you can taste butter and cheese, which in like Russia is like the only joy you can have. <laughs> so Easter's a really, really big deal. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Did you guys ever have any like Easter traditions growing up? We ate a lot of food. I remember um, that was my first time eating fruit jam was an Easter when I was three years old. My dad, who was in America, sent us fruit jam. So for us, it was just like a time where we could actually eat anything but like vegetables. So I, as a kid, I just remember it was like, like root a, a, festival, a festival of the mouth. <laughs> do we all, do any of us have any Easter traditions? I wasn't raised necessarily in a religious background, but we were that kind of family that was like, well, it's Easter. I guess we got to do a thing. And so we used to do the whole thing. We had, we'd have an Easter ham, which isn't that weird to eat ham on Easter. I thought pork was like forbidden or something. No, it's Lent. Oh. Easter is when you can start. Oh. Like for the Lenten season, you're supposed to give something up. Right. um, And you're also... You're not supposed to eat meat, but what it turned into over time was just not eating meat on Fridays, which apparently means you can still have fish. Like, so it became, <laughs> it became this whole, like, so the Lent season, at least, you know, I mean, anyone who grew up Catholic, it's like you eat fish on Fridays. Right. And yeah, but the, the original idea was that, because um, you're supposed to give something up. So like as a child, I'd give up like chocolate or All right. yeah. you, you give up something for Lent and then Easter marks the end of Lent because it's like the day that, you know, Jesus came back from the dead. And then you can, you can eat, you can ham. eat whatever you want because yeah. Jesus is back. Exactly. <laughs> Dude, one Easter, I remember I was dying a bunch of eggs by myself because I was an only child but I was having a great time like I was like this is so fun I was watching Sailor Moon it was just (laughs) awesome great day and my mom went to the store because she forgot cheesecloth and she was like I'm taking the ham out the oven so watch the ham and I was like yeah right like I gotta watch the ham you know like what what where's it gonna go you know (laughs) and I was just not paying attention at all and our cocker spaniel, this little dog, jumped up high enough to pull the ham down from the kitchen counter, which you've been to my house, like it's, it's tall. tall. It's huge counter. It's a big counter. This dog dragged it down and outside and ate the entire ham. Oh, dang. The whole did thing, it, dude. Did it live? Yeah. <laughs> we had, so, so we spent Easter in the emergency vet. And basically, the dog was, like, twice as wide as, like, he normally is. So the vet was just, like, don't feed him for, like, three days or more because he's just, he's eaten enough to last him, like, a month. And That's crazy. It was crazy. That was... So then the dog got to fast. <laughs> that was quite an Easter. Yeah. For Easter, we would do, like, the typical things. We would do, like, I'd get an Easter basket. Yeah. Um, and, like... 
my mom slash the Easter bunny would hide eggs like yeah. around the house and stuff. And yeah. I'd wake up all excited and I'd like search the house Aww. like, ah, oh, I gotta get the eggs. My and then, family still hides eggs. Oh, <laughs> Dude, but know, now it's just like more intense. I think it was two years ago, my boyfriend's mom hid eggs around their backyard and he and I had to find them. We're like adults, <laughs> right? But we were looking for eggs. I would like to know the origins of that tradition, but this episode, we're talking about a very, very expensive type of egg. Very expensive. <laughs> yeah. The Fabergé eggs. Ain't no plastic egg. No, not at all. Reese's cup. That does sound good, though. Yeah, I could go for that. Or like a handful of jelly beans. Mm, I only like the Starburst jelly beans. I love the Starburst jelly beans. Yeah. They're so good. And then I only really like the pink ones. Oh my god, I saw the grossest thing ever at Target the other day. They have Oreos that are, are peep flavored. Oh, I tried oh, one. Marshmallow one. peep oh flavored they had Oreos. Them, they had them at my work last week, uh-huh. and I ate one, and it was really bad. It was literally Death just a, a peep yeah. inside of a like, Oreo cookie. Which tastes like synthetic, synthetic sweet stuff. Like, peeps yeah. are disgusting. But can we, before we leave the peep topic, have you guys ever had peep wars? No. What no. is that? Okay, this is fun, and I kind of recommend everyone try it. <laughs> So you take two peeps and you put them on a plate. It's very messy. And you put toothpicks in their mouth and then you put them in the microwave and you microwave them <laughs> until and they start like growing and then one explodes and the first one to explode shoots his little toothpick at the other one and then it deflates. How did I you feel come like, up with that? I feel like someone t- taught me it. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like sticking a peep in a microwave could cause like some kind of nuclear reaction yeah, <laughs> yeah like, if i get cancer don't want to eat it. yeah I, I don't think i ate them it was just more entertaining you're just amplifying the cancer <laughs> you're gonna get super cancer microwave super cancer. My, microwave radiation super cancer that's gonna show up on like questionnaires for people who have cancer in the future. <laughs> did you microwave a peep in 2002 2006 call bergen jones <laughs> All right, so let's let's get into this. Fabergé eggs. The location of our story is Saint Petersburg, Russia. Carl Fabergé. I always pronounce it Fabergé. Me too. But that's actually wrong. It's Fabergé. I don't like it. Fabergé. I don't like that. Yeah. So there you go. I'm gonna keep calling them. Fabergé. Carl Fabergé, master jeweler, born 1846. Uh, His father was also a master jeweler. So he just took up up after his dad. At 26, Carl took over his father's firm of of jeweling. Jewelers. And then in 1882, the Russian Industry and Art Exhibition in Moscow is where Fabergé first gains recognition. He has... A stand where he's selling different um, objects that that he's crafted. And um, the Tsarina Maria Feodorovna. How was that? (laughs) Feodorovna. Feodorovna. Bought a pair of cufflinks from him. So this is kind of like his claim to fame. And in 1885, a few years later, he's awarded the Imperial Warrant by the Romanovs. So the Imperial Warrant is like he's like their, you know, a court appointed artist of some kind. Yeah, he's he's their jeweler. The court jeweler. The court jeweler. And Easter 1885, Tsar Alexander III and Tsarina Feodorovna are celebrating their 20th wedding anniversary. And Alexander commissions a gift from Carl Fabergé. Ends up being the first of a grand total of 50. I also in another source said 54, but... I saw 53. Yeah. So I I don't know. I think it gets tricky because there's like the imperial eggs that were made for the royal family and then there were some that were made by Fabergé but not necessarily for the imperial family because I was having the same trouble keeping track. Yeah. Because it would be like there's 53 known or 43 known and then there's like 10 missing and it's like that doesn't That add doesn't up. Work, those are yeah. ma- those are made up numbers. They were a plus. Um I mean the most legit source that I was get I'm getting a lot of this information from said that there were 50 imperial Fabergé eggs. So we're just going to go with that. 50 is fine. The first of these eggs 
is the hen egg. Um, That's so, a lovely story, right? Yes. So you <laughs> most excellently described this egg for us, but we're going to look at it again yes. because it's really awesome. It's pretty cool, and it's it's interesting because the evolution of these eggs over time, like like each one is its own thing, and they've changed so much, and def- definitely over time they became a lot more opulent and a lot more... Decadent. Yes, a lot more decadent. Um, so Alexander Third gives... Uh, the Tsarina this hen egg um, as a a anniversary present and there is a surprise inside as as Sonia said um, within the egg and the empress is so pleased like she's just giddy about it that the eggs become an Easter tradition each year the emperor commissions a, another egg from Faberge their his wife yeah always for his wife Dude. Good job. Oh, Alexander I over here being like, wow, yeah. he's a good husband. Yes, every year for his wife on Easter. And there are so many of them, and we're going to kind of go into detail about a, a few of them a little later on, but just like a couple. Um, in 1890, uh, this one's actually probably my favorite, the Danish Palaces egg. It's this beautiful pink egg with like gold trim and like the surprise inside is this beautiful series of like miniature paintings how many are there like 10 10 so what would that panels. be like like a triptych it would be a <laughs> a it's kind of amazing it's really it's beautiful and then let's see, 1894, the Renaissance egg is presented to the Tsarina. Um, and this would be the last egg that would be presented by Tsar Alexander III as he died of kidney disease later that year. Aww. Yeah, so kind of a bummer. Dang it. Uh, um, so at this point in time, if you are familiar with Russian history at all, his Fairly notoriously unprepared son, Nicholas II, takes the throne. And at his coronation, a stampede broke out and 1,300 people died. Oh, yeah. I just remembered. 1,300 people. 1,300. Yep. Yes. There's a really... 1,300 people were crushed. Yes. Dude, that happens. Stampedes get crazy. I believe it, but that's so many people. Mm -hmm. There's a really awesome Netflix series. It's like three episodes, but it's all about the age of the SARS. I think it's called the age of the SARS. I don't know if it's still up, but it's really good. And it talks about all of this, like really in depth. And it's really awesome and interesting. To check that out. Highly recommend so the stampede happens on his coronation day, and yeah, he just doesn't really handle it well. Like, he kind of just ignores it and doesn't handle the situation well, which makes people Upset. not happy with him just right out the gate. And then over time, he's he's given the nickname Bloody Nicholas after Bloody Sunday, which, in my research... Bloody Sunday, there's been like a lot of massacres dated Dude, Bloody yes, Sunday. Sunday's there like are the day. So, there are so many Bloody Sundays in the history of massacres. So Is like, it just like, you know, people are working all week and then they need Saturday to de- decompress before they just massacre on yeah, Sunday. And yeah. then like Monday is right around the corner and so it's just Sunday and you're, you're just, just like, angry. I just can't take it anymore. And then it just happens. It's probably my favorite U2 song, Bloody Sunday. Sunday, YouTube. bloody Sunday. <laughs> I did not know you guys knew U2 songs. Who doesn't know U2? Oh, I, didn't, I don't know that song. Oh, man. I know of U2. I know a few I, songs. I would, I, how can you not know of U2? Bono is, like, everywhere. I just like, know that Bono just, has I know what I'm saying. I don't ever listen to U2. I didn't know he had glaucoma. Gla- gla- That's why he always wears those glasses. I didn't know that. I thought it was a fashion choice. No, dude. I mean, he looks fashionable, but he's got, like, an eye problem. Bummer. Yeah. Interesting. Sorry, Bono. You're listening. Yeah. No, no. Bono's fine. <laughs> okay. Like, I can buy new eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Nicholas II, or or Bloody Nicholas, as some like to call him, uh, was married to Empress Alexandra, who was not as well-liked as the previous Tsarina. previous Tsarina was, like, very personable and kind of loved by all, and Alexandra was just not at all. Hmm. They had four daughters, and then it, this is, I mean, 
probably the most commonly known thing about this family. Their son, Alexi, had uh, hemophilia. So oh, it was the, mm-hmm. you know, the, is it a prince? Like, he I don't, was like a prince. Is I he guess. is he called a yeah. prince? Okay. So, yeah, it was, you probably learned it in your high school history class, like the prince with hemophilia, and they had to be really careful to, to keep him protected because he was obviously the heir to the throne. Dude, and that's when Rasputin comes oh, in. Oh, Rasputin. I want to talk about Rasputin. He doesn't really apply here, but man, Rasputin is so interesting. Well, that's why they brought him in is because he claimed that he could yep. like cure his hemophilia. Yeah. And he miraculously made him stop bleeding this one time, and so yep. the whole family was like, oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, for more information, there are like multiple documentaries about Rasputin on YouTube. I went on a kick a while back, so you should check those out. So um, Nicholas II continues the tradition of the Fabergé eggs um, within the royal household by requesting two eggs each year, one for his mother and one for his wife. Oh, Yeah, nice. Nicholas, by the way, was the most uncreative czar. He did everything his dad did because he was so unprepared to rule that he literally looked at everything his dad did and tried to do the exact same thing. That's why he got one for his mom. And then he was like, but wait, if I was my dad, I would be giving it to my wife. And that's literally the way he yeah, thought to, like, about everything that he did. Yeah, to like think through the logic. Yeah. yeah. He was kind of like an everyman. Like he just liked like yeah. chopping wood and stuff. Like he didn't, Aww. he, he didn't, didn't want to be the czar. He didn't want to be the czar. Um, who would want to be the czar? I, I know, right? That sounds like a terrible Well, that's the paradox is like the people who want to be in power are the people who shouldn't be in power. And then, that happens. Yeah. It far, happens all far the time. Often, yeah. Dang it. Hence our moment in history. (laughs) No. No. I almost didn't think about it today. (laughs) It's a a good day. Zero days. I'm going to start like one of those like charts or little like dry erase And so I'll just depressingly walk over every day and be like, oh Oh, man. (laughs) So he's commissioning two eggs a year, one for his mother, the Dowager, and one for Empress Alexandra. First pair are the Rosebud Egg and the Blue Serpent Egg, which are both like just stupid beautiful. Like they're stunning. The colors are gorgeous. The Rosebud Egg, interestingly, eventually ended up in the possession of Grace Kelly, (laughs) Princess Grace of Monaco. What? Uh, yeah. Huh. Um, and it was it was like her prized possession. Right. Um it would be. Right. Fun fact of the same birthday as Grace Kelly. Ooh. Scorpios. Mm, there, yeah. <laughs> That's the sound of the little tail. <laughs> Scorpio sound I prefer like sting. Like a sting oh. type of a noise. It's but. onomatopoeia. Okay. <laughs> 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 loose change in the charm. <laughs> okay, so Fabergé and the Romanovs were, they were tight, which led, like they had a, a close relationship, which led to these uh, like very nuanced intentional gifts, especially over time. These eggs, they got really personal like the the stories they were trying to tell or the little surprises within them were very relevant to what was going on in their lives at that time a shop was open in london to sell fabergé products they made all kinds of stuff they made silverware trinkets candy boxes and cigarette cases which like that would be cool having a Fabergé cigarette case is, like, the swaggiest thing I can think of. Yeah. Like, how dope would that be? And they're really, like, sleek. Like, they're not as, like, ornate as you think. They're just, like, simple but have, like, some kind of, like... Filigree? Yeah, like, engraved designs. But, yeah, I want one. So, you know, if someone wants to send me one of those... <laughs> yeah, just send it. Just send it. wine and Fabergé cigarette Yeah. <laughs> At this time, English society and the English royal family start to become enchanted by Fabergé as well. It's starting to gain a lot more traction in other other um, parts of the Western world. The Rothschilds and the Nobels both commissioned eggs. In 1904 to 1905, egg production kind of comes to a halt because Russia was defeated in the Russo-Japanese War. That's when Bloody Sunday occurred, was in this time frame. So they'd, they put the egg making to a stop for right. a minute. We can't make eggs right now. I mean, we just guys. can't be doing that. In 1906, production resumes with the swan egg, which they are really stepping up their game at this point because it the surprise in it is a little automaton swan. Yeah. What? Like, yeah, like a little little 
swan robot, basically. Oh my god. Yeah. That's amazing. Isn't that cool? That's like the kinder egg of the future. (laughs) (laughs) But in the past. But in the past. That's very like steampunk. Don't let the steampunk people know about it. It's gonna co-op fabric eggs. If they haven't already. Oh god. I feel like they probably have. I wouldn't mind doing an episode on steampunk. It's a very yeah. unique aesthetic. Yeah. And people who love it really love it. But it's so like it. Fedora Milady. Like, I know. Oh, God. Like, <laughs> sorry. I just know yeah. so many people that I do not like who are into that whole thing. Yeah. And they kind of ruined it for me. Like, like why is your course out of a grandfather clock? Like, why don't you just <laughs> chill? Like, it's cool. Like, how did you do that in the first place? Enough. <laughs> for sure. I just watched, I watched one episode of the show Steampunked. On Netflix recently, just out of curiosity. Oh, Ashton Kutcher is <laughs> <laughs> steampunk. He's wearing, he's wearing like a like a mechanical monocle. And oh, oh my, my god, god, I love this image. But no, it's it's like a I don't know, like a game show, like Project Runway. Yeah, yeah. Costume exactly. It's, yeah. yeah, it's Project Runway, but it's for steampunk. And what's cool about it is it's just like. Well, I totally agree. Like that, yeah. The you you nailed it with the fedora, <laughs> my lady like, fedora, my lady fedora. <laughs> yeah, like I totally understand. Like that gets frustrating. But what's cool about it is it's just like these people that really enjoy making and like want to create this whole world of this certain style that's like retro futuristic so it's i think it's interesting so is this our steampunk egg <laughs> it is kind of steampunky that was not intentional it looks um like a nazi egg to me yeah Ooh. and also you can see the militarized themes mm-hmm. for post the post-war era this so. is a cool egg we're looking at like, right now yeah is this what egg is this Sorry. this we'll, is we'll let you speak now <laughs> this egg was created in 1914 and it is the uh, World War One egg. Uh, <laughs> it is the steel military egg. Is that what it um, is? Yes. And it has a very different aesthetic, as you can tell. It's it's very militaristic. And the surprise, the image inside is a is a image like a, I think it's a painting of the Tsar and his son giving orders to the troops. So wow. it's, it's mini, very small portrait. Yes. Of- this egg looks like it would take flight. Like it's got yeah. these four kind of. They look those like, little bullets. No, they, they look like um, you know, like the things that are on the side of a a spaceship jet. Yeah, it, propeller it, it, guys. <laughs> it looks like this thing could take off. So yeah, it's a very different aesthetic. We'll we'll have an image of this up on our our website for sure. But but very different from the the pink ornate yeah. opulent like Fabergé eggs that came before it. Yeah, and it's like like I said, it's it's meant for a very specific time, and it's meant to represent what's going on in the royal family's life. And yeah, it's kind of steampunky. Yeah, it kind of. So this was given to the wife yeah. and the mother. Yeah, I'm sure, I wonder if that year they were like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd have been like, oh, you shouldn't have. I was actually like trying not to think about the war right now. It's like my birthday. Yeah, (laughs) we go from an animatronic egg or swan to a war egg. You shouldn't have. You really shouldn't. You really shouldn't. (laughs) Um, I'm sure a lot of you know the end of the story, but if you don't, things don't really turn out well for the Romanovs. The Bolshevik Revolution is a thing, led by Lenin. Uh, The Bolsheviks capture the the family, the entire family. And lock them in a room and brutally execute them. Like, can't really put it any simpler than that. Like, it sucks. You know, it, it was. It's pretty awful. Yeah. There was like women and children. You know. Yeah. It was kind of. They just like locked them in a room and didn't just gunned them all down. Hardcore. Which is a total bummer. Fabergé himself was in danger of execution just from being so close to the family, but he ends up being just exiled to Switzerland. And I think I think Sonia is actually going to talk a little bit more about this how the Bolsheviks took over his legacy. But he dies in 1920 in Switzerland, so not too much longer after. And then Lenin and Stalin kind of just sold a whole bunch of Russian art. And they, like, took over all of Russian culture, pretty much. And uh, what's what's the famous quote? There's a famous quote by, I think, Lenin that's like, loot the looters or something like that so it's this idea of taking back reclaiming yeah because that's so you know yeah exactly like reclaiming what has been claimed by this 
this dynasty. And then, yeah, so they, they sell a lot of art, including a lot of eggs. Armin Hammer, he got in there and pretty much did exactly what a capitalist does Wait. and and capitalized off of these eggs. He, he, he pretended... <laughs> Jen's very confused. Yes, is that the baking soda guy? Um, I actually, I actually don't know like the whole story, but I think so. Yeah, I mean, he was a captain of industry, basically. So Armin Hammer stole the like, hammer and sickle. That's cool. All right. Oh, that's good. Um, I actually don't know a, ton, a lot about Armin Hammer, but his name is Armin Hammer. I know. <laughs> I It's funny, he pretended to be a communist, even though he was like a capitalist incarnate. Like, he pretended to be a communist and got as many eggs as he could and capitalized off them eggs. Malcolm Forbes also uh, collected a bunch of them. He had like 11 at one time. And it's, it's one of those things I'm like, did you even care? Like, or like, did you even care about the eggs or was it just like this conquest? Like, you're just trying to collect as many of the Fabergé eggs as possible. You know yeah. what I mean? But Probably yeah. the latter. Yeah. <laughs> he had a lot of them. Many of the eggs have made their way back to St. Petersburg now. There's a Fabergé museum that houses a lot of them. 42 imperial eggs survived the revolution. And a missing imperial egg was recently found, like, I think within the last <laughs> decade. Yeah, by, by a yokel at, like, an antique fair, and he didn't know what it was. And he bought it for like less than a thousand dollars, and then it got appraised at like seven million dollars. Oh my god! And this yokel is still nameless. So if you're that yokel, congratulations! Congratulations, yokel! <laughs> you done it! You done it! You done it! <clears throat> Ultimately, like it's entirely possible that the seven that are still missing were melted down, and they will never be seen again. Like that is a thing that could happen. Armin Hammer did not. <laughs> I know this is so off topic, but dude, the guy named Armand Hammer actually bought a considerable amount of stock in the company that manufactures Armand Hammer. However, Armand Hammer's company brand name did not originate with Armand Hammer. It was in use 31 years before Hammer was born. What kind of crazy coincidence is that? He's like, I'm just going to invest in it because it sounds like my name. That is nuts. The company started 30 years before he was born? Yeah. What if his parents like heard an ad or something and they were like... That's a great name. That's a great name. <laughs> That's oh, hilarious, man. though. God. Oh, man. I love that kind of stuff. I do, too. Kind of a similarly serendipitous thing. So there's technically seven missing Imperial Fabergé eggs still. They, yeah, they easily could have been melted down or, or whatever and will never be seen again. But it's also just as possible that they're out there in the world in, yeah, some some yokel's house. Yeah. <laughs> some, like, like, old babushka yeah. is, like, no. coveting one. Yeah. It's just, like, my precious. Yeah, so. they could be anywhere, literally anywhere. And, like, they could there could be one next door. It's entirely possible because a lot of them made their way to the United States at one point. So in in a kind of a fun way, it's like hunting for Easter eggs. It's like a actual, well, I know, yeah. you could stumble upon one. So I think that's pretty much all I have to say. Sonia is going to talk a little bit more about what these meant for kind of the, the dynasty and all of that good stuff. So a little note about when Fabergé, during the revolution, so Karl Fabergé was exiled but the Bolsheviks, they nationalized his company. So technically, Karl Fabergé couldn't make any more Fabergé eggs because the Bolsheviks had basically nationalized his company and taken his entire shop. And what I find really interesting about these Fabergé eggs is they really are like a metaphor and a narrative for like the Russian ridiculousness that we're still living now where like a, a few people have all the money and then everyone else has nothing. Like these eggs had little tiny portraits of all of Nicholas's weird sick kids. <laughs> and then everyone else was like rationing rye bread and eating dirt and then like had a revolution because they were so poor. So <laughs> the Forbes collection was bought by Russian oligarchs 
in an egomaniacal ploy that everything that is Russian must return to Russia by the richest Russians for the richest Russians. So when was this? This was in 2003, I think. So the oh, Forbes heirs decided to auction off the eggs. And before it could go to auction, mysteriously, someone made a side deal, as Russians are so famous for doing. <laughs> so this guy, I think Vasily Vaskolovich or something, he's like the Vosprov Victor Veselberg. Victor Veselberg, duh. <laughs> so he just bought all these eggs for $100 million, like way above market value, um, as a power statement that all Russian things belong in Russia of historical value. Mm. So it's, again, Russia's concentrated wealth and everyone else is starving. So, <laughs> so there Russia 2017, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the new that revolution is coming. Like and the new revolution years. is coming. So Dang. That's Once crazy. we overthrow Putin, we'll find those lost seven eggs. <laughs> my words. Dude, I bet you Putin has the eggs. Oh, probably. Putin, you better hand over those <laughs> eggs. I want to see what you've done with those eggs. What did these oligarchs do after purchasing the eggs? Like, where do they live now? So, um, the guy that bought the eggs, he said that he didn't have them at his house. In typical Russian fashion, you never want to tell anyone where you have anything valuable. So he supposedly made um, a small museum for them that's a private museum that, like, only other rich people can go to. <laughs> supposedly, they're going to make it public, but, like, they're open, like, one day a week and it's on leap year or something. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm learning so much about Russian culture. I know. I appreciate it. I feel like I don't know enough. So my grandma had three of these little replica eggs made out of like, you know, glass and like whatever, tin. <laughs> and and um, she would just show me them sometimes. Be like, yeah, you know, they uh, they killed those guys. So, you know, that's uh, that's why we celebrate Easter. So happy Easter, everybody. Does your grandma still have these eggs? Are they cherished or are they kind of like uh, kitschy? I think they're, they're, like, they're like tchotchkes. So you can buy them at okay. like the, the market. I can imagine. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, too, because I think that aren't these replicas sort of... Aren't they the kind of thing that you would see at the airport if you land, like, in St. Petersburg? Yep. Yeah, yep. exactly. Duty free, guys. Right. Don't pay tax. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we should talk about some of these eggs, then. Yeah. We mentioned a few, and they are this stunning. good chocolate. Who brought this? Oh, yeah. Sonia brought the dank chocolate, you guys. Trader Jose's, baby. And what is that in them? Like macadamia nuts? Some kind of oh hazelnuts. Yo, that's some decadent chocolate. Yeah, it is. It's like thick too. Right, you got the whole nut. (laughs) Nut and chocolate. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, so some of these eggs that we know and love. We've discussed the hen egg, which is the first, and I would say maybe the most beloved. It's it's you know it's adorable. Um, it's kind of compared to the other eggs. It's kind of minimalistic. It's it humble. is. It's humble. humble. It's a humble egg. Yeah. You know what? This egg reminds me of something that would have been made by like Le, Le Corbusier yeah. or something. It's like a Mies van der Rohe egg. Like it's, <laughs> it's very minimalist. It's very modern. Yeah. It's just when it's closed, when it when it's in its egg form, it just it's just like white. It just it's looks just like an egg. It's a white egg. But from there, they get really decadent. There's this one. It's called the Lilies of the Valley Egg. Ooh. So this one's really beautiful. Um, it looks oh, wow. like a lily, um, closed, like a closed lily, and it's encrusted with jewels. And when it opens, the surprise is that you twist a pearl button on the egg, and three portraits pop up from the inside. It's a portrait of Nicholas at the top, and then their two oldest daughters, Olga and Tatiana. And this way, Nicholas's wife could gaze upon her adoring husband and her beautiful daughters. Very beautiful. What else do we have here? There's this crazy looking one that doesn't even look like an egg, to be honest. It's called the Bay Tree Egg. Oh, yeah. This one is dope. It's so... It's big. It's actually pretty big. So it's, it's a little bit under a foot tall. Um, oh, which that is, is that's a big egg. Yeah, so um, tiny. And it's made of all kinds of different jewels. There's diamonds, citrines, amethysts, rubies, agate, agate, yeah. agate, <laughs> and pearls. Not to mention gold, enamel, and actual feathers. 
So the Tsar Nicholas gave this egg to his widowed mother in 1911. And on this egg, which really looks like a tree, it's made up of these small leaves and jewels and stuff. So on the tree, there's a little gold winding mechanism. And so you turn it and then the top part of the egg would, out of the top part of the egg, a little feathered nightingale would pop out and sing a little song and flap its wings and move its beak. What? And then when it was done with its little song, it would all descend back down. So that's ridiculous. Way to outdo every Mother's Day gift ever. I know, right? I hope my mom's not listening to this episode because she'll be like, (laughs) get me anything like that. (laughs) Another one that is just super amazing is this uh, peacock egg. So this peacock egg took a long time to make, three years of trial and error before it was ready to be given to the Empress Maria Fyodorovna. Killing it with the pronunciation. You got it. You did it. And it's a crystal egg. And when you open it, there's a golden tree inside. And upon the golden tree is perched a golden peacock. And the peacock can actually be removed from the tree and you could wind it up and it would walk around and spread its tail. How do they do this? I don't know. This, this is before 3D printing or anything. Like these <laughs> are tiny little little metal pieces. It's, it's crazy. crazy. And the tour de force, the winter egg of 1913. This egg is amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. It's so beautiful. I've never seen anything like it. It is the most expensive Fabergé egg that was ever made, coming in at 24,600 rubles, which is roughly about 3 million American dollars today. What? No, no, this is all made to be like... um, like, updated to 2017 oh, okay. monetary standards. I was like, oh, yeah. our ruble is crashing through the floor. Like, <laughs> yeah. that you can't possibly so right. you sold 24,000 like, no, 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 like, no, 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 And so on this rock crystal, it's embellished with um, these snowflake designs. It is ornamented with diamonds and platinum, and it's made to resemble frost. The egg is perched upon a sort of made-to-look-like-melting ice. It's, It's more of the rock crystal. And there is also platinum and diamonds on it. And so you open this egg, and inside... There is a basket of flowers, and the basket itself is made up of platinum encrusted with diamonds. Inside are wood anemones, so the flowers themselves are made of a white quartz. There's a nephrite, gold garnets, and then they're actually emerging from this, like, moss, and the moss is a, um, it's actually green gold. And so the overall height of this egg is 14 centimeters with the base. And it's actually set with 3,246 diamonds. It's decadent. It's opulent. <laughs> it's magnificent. <laughs> it was um, actually sold in New York City in 2002 for $9.6 million. And the buyer was one Hamad bin Khalifa al-Tani of Kedar, otherwise known as Wiz Khalifa. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, it's I <laughs> would be really happy yeah. if Wiz Khalifa had that. Not that Wiz would Khalifa. be amazing. But Wiz, if you're out there, um, I think that you could uh, take old Khalifa from Kedar <laughs> and give him a run for his money, okay? That's all I have on eggs of note. Eggs, so, eggs of eggs note. Eggs of note. <laughs> Should that be the name of this episode? Yeah. Eggs <laughs> of note. Yeah. <laughs> so leaving it on that uh, Christie's auction, I'm going to hand it off to Nat. All right. So to continue on with auctions, we're kind of jumping to, t- or, yeah, because you talked about the winter egg. Yeah, so okay. the winter egg. So oh, the winter yeah. egg was 2002 at Christie's, and then in 2007 at Christie's, the Rothschild egg was sold. That was made in 1902 for $8.9 million. I think well, you said it was over $9 million for the winter egg, right? Yeah, the winter egg 
brought in 9.6 million. So I think, oh, this is in pounds. Oh. Right? Which That's, would be more. A little bit more yeah. in dollars. I don't really know. And we'd have to look British back at 2007 and pounds. how it was. But it's generally it way like. It's <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money. <laughs> it's more money than I have. So it's more it's money than I will ever have. It's the most money that a Fabergé egg has been bought up till this time or that time. I don't know. Okay. It's expensive, guys. It's, it's, it's a not a lot it's of a lot. information. Even, this is like stuff that people like us do not even, we, I don't know. It's like. I don't well, even, you'll never touch a fabric. Like I don't even at, want to know at this how point. Much it costs. At this point, because there's such a small number of them, and they're like there are people in the world that are legitimate specialists in fabric. Yeah. So there are a few like museums in the world or like collectors in the world that you know are fighting over these eggs. So it, they're practically priceless, like yeah. because it's just yeah. there's like a couple of people that can actually people. acquire them. Which well, is, you yeah. guys alluded to the story earlier about the farmer who was trying to sell scrap metal and couldn't sell this stupid little egg and was so frustrated. And then Googled it and found out it was worth like thirty three million dollars or something insane. And yeah, I think it, it, I but. think it might be the same guy. I'm not sure, but okay. So I got a lot of my information off of. This is just a good shout out all around. There's a series on Netflix called Raiders of the Lost Art. Every episode is about, I mean, exactly. I'm going to go home and watch that. It's about lost art. It's about like art mysteries. It's so good. And they have a Fabergé egg episode. And that's where I got a ton of my information. Oh my God. And um, I'm pretty sure it's the same guy, but I don't know for sure. But they tell this story. And when the collector came to the United States to meet with this guy who was trying to sell this little egg, who like he didn't even really know what he had um, until he had it. There was a picture of when he walked into his house and the little cute little gold Fabergé egg was just sitting right next to a cupcake, like an actual cupcake. <laughs> I know, it was super cute. I wonder if it was the same guy, because this guy, it was in 2015, so it's pretty recent. Yeah, it might be the same and guy. Yeah, he, was try- he thought he would be able to sell it for about $500 and they would just melt it down. People weren't buying it, and so he got frustrated and Googled it. But this means that he was on the verge of like selling this, to be melted. Like, this one could have just been yeah. gone. It was Forever. that close. And no one would have known. And they thought it was gone. So this particular egg, they thought since 1922 had been missing because there there was, like, some story that they had sold it and researchers thought it was gone. And then they found it on an auction list in 2011 and realized that, like, there was still hope it was out there. So then they, this guy, I think, found an article while researching it that was talking about how, oh, wait, this egg is still out there. And he was like, holy shit, I have it. So it oh, was, man. it's a very cute, like, so it was, and then it, there was a funny part in the article where they say that he was way overestimating how much he could get if he melted it down, but he was way underestimating its <laughs> inherent value. So it was just like this weird backwards, like it's really like in... In um, material, it's not worth that much, but in what it is, it's worth an insane amount. Like what I was saying, it's pretty much priceless. You just summed up the art market in like two sentences. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, at least these are precious materials. A lot of the art market is inflated based on stuff that costs pretty much nothing. Picasso drew something on like a kitchen napkin. (laughs) For real. Spilled wine on it and like put out a cigarette on it. It's it's worth like millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get into our modern day capitalist society so you can get little Fabergé egg charms like Sonia was saying anywhere you can get charm bracelets you can get all these things or you can get a real Fabergé egg charm which can go from 3600 to $7,000 on their website and they only have like 10 little models of them. No it's definitely what I thought was so interesting in researching this and even just like finding out more about Fabergé eggs is my contemporary understanding of Fabergé eggs came very much from just like, you know, contemporary culture, like television shows. And, you know, just like you hear about Fabergé eggs and they're always associated with just being really rich, right? Mm-hmm. Really rich people have Fabergé eggs. And I didn't really even understand what they were for the longest time. And that's kind of what it is now. It's people 
it's like a status symbol to yeah. buy something Fabergé at this point. Yeah, it's it's a brand. It's a name. It's a brand. It's like yeah, Cartier, it's like a, a a Mont Blanc pen. Yeah. Like it's like, <laughs> yeah. If you really want a charm bracelet, you can knock yourself out. Go to their website to close out. We can talk about this most recent egg, which Sonia knows a little bit about. So the Fabergé name was sold all around after um you know after the Bolsheviks gave it up and everything was sold for from in Africa and then now it's run by like the two great granddaughters of the original Fabergé Carl Fabergé who designed this egg um for for auction in Qatar I believe Qatar right um I don't know if it was in Qatar but it was made in the Qatar style so apparently yeah. they had established a style that was associated with Qatar which so. you know to take a look at this if you look at the original eggs they tell a story there's some kind of meaning to it well and they're symbolic of what did it say like trust and love or something they have they have like a meaning like a very yeah. important meaning directly related to the people they were made for right so they're personal they and we I mean we even talked about the World War 1 egg like yeah i'm looking at it right now they're very they're very personal albeit weird <laughs> yeah, this egg this is just like um i don't know imagine like like rolling chewing gum and a bunch of pearls like it's just <laughs> pearls and gold and inside what's the secret surprise it's another pearl like it's so tacky and weird and they've completely lost their edge so but this egg i think auctioned off for like some two million dollar yeah, looks- price but to some oil air we have a nice little diagram going from the hen egg to the, what was it, the lily? The yeah, lily egg lily, the to the pearl. So I do have to give it to them, though, that they at least tried to emulate the original egg in color scheme. And when you see them side by side, like, you're kind of like, oh, they went back to the white and gold, like the simplicity yeah, of definitely. that. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, the, the, when it lacks the meaning, it's just really yeah. And it's not like it's like an ugly thing. It's beautiful, yeah. but it's not. It doesn't have the character that the other Fabergé eggs. It's just kind of like beautiful, just to be beautiful. Yeah, yeah. there's no, you exactly. know, it's not being like gifted to like someone important or That's anything cool. like that. It's and I think yeah, I think Sonia nailed it. The worst part is that like it's. The thing about these Fabergé eggs is that they have this little surprise inside, and the surprise is just another pearl. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's not a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, this was made to be auctioned off. Like, the original Fabergé eggs, it was made for a family by somebody that knew the family was intimate with them. So it has that personal feel. When you look at them, you're seeing something. Their beauty is that it's made some, something intimate. Like, you're, you're, like, looking through someone's, like, stuff, like their private, like, album or something yeah. like that. This is just something that everyone that looks at it sees the same thing. Yeah. yeah, it's kind yeah, of a definitely. shame that they even tried to yeah. redo it. Is really what it comes down to. But it's a thing. It's a thing. It's it's nice to look at. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But it's well crafted. Like it's not. Yeah, not bad looking. But where's the mechanical peacock? I mean, let's be real. moving. We're over it. <laughs> I want like a sentient, like little robot, like gorilla. Gorilla. <laughs> you heard it, Fabergé. <laughs> That's what we want, Fabergé. That's Those what they are demand. That's a little gorilla or nothing. I want a gorilla Fabergé egg. Can and it I be want the him. gorilla girls? Oh, that'd be great. That would be so cool. And the little gorilla girl comes out and just like you know protests. <laughs> <laughs> See now, make an egg like that, riot. and oh, I will nice. not spend millions of dollars <laughs> on it because I'm poor, but. I won't be mad. But I'd be excited about yeah, it. Yeah, I'd be excited about it. Is that is that all we got on I eggs? I think that's all we got. So we'll do some listener mail. Oh, also, before we do listener mail, um, we talked about Easter and stuff. We're actually recording on Passover. So, like, oh, yeah. want to tell everyone happy Passover. Happy Passover. Happy. What's a like, Seder? Like, S-E-D-E-R. I think it's, it's the uh, meal. Oh, oh the no, no. Seder, yeah, Seder's the meal. meal. Seder's the meal, meal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw this really funny post on Instagram. It was, like, Seder house rules. Get it? Like, like cider, cider house, house rules. rules. Yeah. <laughs> That's clever. It was good. Now, everything I know about Passover was from the episode of Rugrats about Passover. <laughs> <laughs> when, when he broke his spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Grandpa Boris was always breaking his, like, I don't know what, and Tommy would call it his spaghetti. <laughs> Did you hear? Grandpa Boris broke his spaghetti. It was Boris and Minka, like the most 
like racist yeah. stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, and don't get me started because like Eastern in, European Jews. <laughs> in, hey Arnold, Mr. Kakashka. Oh, yeah. So if you know what Kakashka means, like like poop, it means like uh, feces. So my grand, my mom, when I were to watch Hey Arnold when I first came to America, was like. Don't you ever forget this is what they think of us. They think we're garbage. Oh. Don't you ever forget it. I hate that. It's, it's Kokoschka. I get it that it's... But the, Mr. Kokoschka, I don't think, was Jewish. And I also no, don't he's think... Russian. He no, he's Russian. He wasn't Russian, though. He was... You know what? I'm going to... I never forgive I'm gonna you, gonna hey, concede. Arnold. I'm going to concede on this. Yeah, I think... I think, I think Sonia knows what she's talking about. If you're listening to Nickelodeon, I'll never forget. <laughs> ever. It was rough. It was rough. It yeah. was like... Couldn't even, like, read... <laughs> <laughs> I, I barely remember. Me too. Yeah. Well, I watch all these watched the whole series last summer, so there you go. But yeah, happy Passover <laughs> to all of you celebrating. I'm also going to immediately, after an recording, research Passover because I feel like that's an important thing to know. I want to know more I want to know about it. Yeah, or if you want to email bad. us and, and tell us about your yeah. Easter or Passover traditions, we'd love to hear about that. That'd be awesome. Okay. So, listener mail. Hello, ladies. I listened to your color episodes yesterday, and today my Facebook happened to be full of color theory discussions amongst my artist friends. One of the links posted had this tidbit, which is the first I've heard this mentioned in this particular way in my many years of reading on the subject. The idea that the physical tension exerted by the eye when reading longer wavelengths due to thickening of the lens being what leads to a feeling of active or engaged versus the relaxed state of the eye when reading cooler hues equating to calmness is the part I found most interesting and likely to explain for the commonly held mood response. So we talked about this in our Mm -hmm. color theory episode, how certain colors tend to be associated and tend to instigate, you know, calmness or, or different emotions or anger or whatever. So This is what she's referring to. Joy Turner Luke offers an explanation for the depth effect that has become popular recently. Warm colors are advancing because their focal length is longer than cool hues, which is the cause of chromatic aberration. All hues cannot be perfectly focused at the same time. The eye focuses slightly differently on long wavelengths, reds, than on short wavelengths, blues. The lens becomes slightly fatter and more curved to focus on red in comparison to when it is focusing on blue or green. When the eye focuses on nearby objects, it makes a similar but larger change than it does when focusing on red. The muscles that control the lens are most relaxed when we gaze off into space. This small difference in focus may account for the fact that blue and green seem more relaxing and to recede slightly in space. Anyway, thought you might get a kick out of that. And she also put a link to an essay about it, which we'll put on our sources for this um, episode. Yeah, I read that. So you can check that out if you're interested. But That's amazing. Right? And I think Lay 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 it's a cool name. L-A-Y-I-L. I'm not quite sure. Lyle. Lyle? I, I don't know. It's Sounds beautiful. Really it's cool, We're though. We're probably butchering your name, baby girl, but thank you for yeah, the information. This amazing. But that makes sense. That makes sense with, like, evolution. Because if you think about it, like, back when we were in, like, the bush... Like, looking at the sky, looking at the stars, that's calming. So you, yeah. you, that would make sense that we'd evolve to be calmed by that. Where, like, red or blood, we, yeah. we think, like, this is cause for alarm. We need to, like, fire. something's wrong. Fire. Yeah, like, yeah. some intense colors are like, oh, yeah. I'll get away. So that makes sense. It yeah. does. It totally makes sense. I remember those that days. That bush, though. I remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> Who would like to read number two? I can do it. Natalie. Dear Art History Babes, literally just so many blessings on you guys. You've become my favorite podcast in such such warm ray of sunshine to my day. I initially found you babes when I searched for iTunes podcasts on Frida Kahlo to listen to, and I absolutely fell in love with with y'all. Aw, y'all. I am an architectural graphic designer, i.e. architects send me their blueprints and I make conceptual artwork for them. Sometimes I get to draw mm. maps for people. I love drawing maps. Awesome. That's a great and job. So that means I get to color all day and listen to podcasts all day. Your podcasts have not only encouraged me in my career as an artist, as an artist babe, but in my non-commissioned artwork. I hope to have a website soon of my paintings and would love to send you, send you that as soon as I get that up. Your podcasts have encouraged me to do painting commissions as well. At this point in time, I'm not accepting money for painting commissions, but I am accepting wine and conversation from the commissioner. 
Hallelujah. That was me. <laughs> I feel that I that a good bottle of wine and a good conversation are so much more valuable than money. If I put my soul and emotions into a work of art, I want to share a good glass of wine with the commissioner. This may have been inspired by your podcast as well. Aww. Oh my god, dude, I'm like crying. <laughs> oh, this, is, this is fantastic. Anyways, I love you, babes. It's so important and so needed to have such a strong, sm- such strong, smart babes in the art world. Representation is everything. <laughs> Everything is in bold. <laughs> I love you guys. Oh my god, haha! That is so sweet, and it that is, is from so Brooke. Sweet. Brooke. Brooke, and she oh, also. So I know it's so nice. Hold on, I think I still have it up. I hope I do. I want to see her artwork. Yeah. so badly. We have it. Um, uh, I'll find it. Your job sounds yeah. Real, like tell real us how cool. to get that job. Yeah, by the way, like, like right Jeez. Also, your idea um, of having wine with your commissioner is a great idea yeah that's it is. awesome and, and it, we like that too also we want to get paid so <laughs> don't be afraid to get paid for real i mean artists deserve to get paid like it shouldn't be all about the money by any means but people who but create I, should get paid i totally yeah. agree but i like her um her like balance between her work where she is like creating art technically for architects mm-hmm. and like doing that and making money off of it, and then the passion side. So it's like she's melded them in a way. She's still getting paid. And, (laughs) yeah, she's getting paid, and she's getting something that's valuable to her in the conversation in wine. Like, that is the dream. That is. Write write a book and tell me all about it. That's the goal. Like, that's the end goal for all of this. So, so yeah, we're we're totally about it. We've got your Instagram up. We're on your Instagram right now. And we're lurking. We're lurking hard. (laughs) I like it a lot. Oh, Brooke, I'm a sucker for skin tones. I love you already. They are beautiful. Ooh. Oh, my God look at this babe this is so great oh yeah yeah next 15 minutes is just gonna be us creeping i like those hands girl that's amazing okay brooke you're so awesome all this is so cool yeah these are super fun i like everything you're doing keep doing it keep doing it oh i like that dark light that looks like me yeah, That's, I like that. You just you drew a portrait of me. I, I, <laughs> I didn't even know that you. Ooh, this is fun. Oh, this is amazing. I Very really, fun power. I, love I really that. like your hands. The hands are are just really fun and cool. And hands are hard, girl. So more power. Hands are the you. worst. Hands and feet are brutal. Oh, oh Shel yeah, Silverstein. Yeah, oh my see. god. We could keep going. Okay, we should stop. Yeah. We're the only person who knows what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, we're all just really, like, people ooh, are like, okay, bye. Ooh. All right. Um, well, thank you for the kind listener mail. If you have any thoughts or questions for us, email us at arthistorywaves at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram or at Art History Babes Podcast, on Twitter at Art History Babes. Like us on Facebook. Uh, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. Is that all of them? Did I miss yeah. any of them? I think I you got it. it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Go uh, on arthistorybabes.com. Yeah, just just hang out on our website. Just hang. Just hang out And on we're, like, dipping into the idea of merch. Like, we're, merch. we're, we're dipping our toe in the pool. So oh, if yeah. anyone has suggestions or... Or suggestions for places where we should reach out to to get merch oh, or yeah, all of the above. All we we would appreciate yeah. Any, or if any there's just advice. like something that you would buy. From yeah. Them, what like. would you like? Like a sticker, <laughs> a mean, tote bag. A, what do you want? They're selling all their stuff at grad students. You can buy anything <laughs> yeah. that they own. <laughs> exactly. We're just gonna sell you our belongings. If there's something like just so funny that one of us said from an episode that you want to see on a shirt or a tote bag or what or like have if you, you want. If you want a lock of Jen's beautiful blue hair. I'm giving it away. <laughs> For the right price. Yeah. <laughs> or if you want to get super meta about it, you could order a lock of Jen's hair and then she can send you grass like Salvador Dali did <gasps> to Yoko Ono. It'll be this whole like thing between you. I like it. I, it'll I mean, just be an inside joke. It'll be super we'll just, meta, but like... We'll, we will make that experience yeah. happen. <laughs> I mean, I will legit send someone a lock of my blue hair for the right price. So, <laughs> so keep that in mind. Um, also, we mentioned potentially doing a meetup in Europe on our last episode about ancient Greek monsters. Oh my god, um, that'd be crazy! Yeah, mid June. So if that, yeah. if you are interested, email us about that. Yeah, we officially you, are staying in Paris and Berlin, and hopefully Amsterdam soon. I think so. we're doing Amsterdam for. We just need to have just, an official. Yeah. Place. 
stay. couple days. Um, we'll definitely be in Berlin. Um, what were we saying? June 25th. We land in Berlin. So if you're familiar with or live out there and you want to direct us to some of the most wild <laughs> clubs in Berlin. She just wants to dance her heart out. That's, 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 Berlin Berlin yeah, that's, that's all I want to do. That's oh, my I plan for right Berlin. That's you. my plan it's, for you Berlin. You know, I'm going to drink beer. I'm going to uh, eat um, like a, what are those? Schnitzel? Yeah, I, I want like one of those big <laughs> <That's> sausages. <laughs> not sausages. I want to eat a big old bratwurst with sauerkraut and I want to dance. We can make that happen. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like we should let our listeners go. <laughs> Bye. We love you. We've been ranting Bye. Bye. From radiation super cancer. That's going to show up on like questionnaires for people who have cancer in the future. Did you microwave a peep from 2006? Call Bergen Jones. Censored episodes of the Art History Babes podcast are made possible by support from our lovely listeners via Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash arthistorybabes to help keep the Art History Babes going and for access to bonus content.